Uh, Today's sermon is called uh, Humility uh, in the Church. You know, oftentimes uh, in the church, more often than not, and I've been a part of this as well, is that we emphasize what a person can do more than what a person should be. And a lot of times for us, what ends up happening is we exalt and lift up people's giftings and talents, but we are quick to gloss over anything that can draw them further away from God. However, the Bible is so clear that our character is infinitely more important than our abilities. And I'm bringing this up because one of the most important aspects of godly character is humility. In fact, other than love, God speaks on humility more than any other trait. You see, this passage, it speaks about a church that's located in Antioch. And after a little bit, it begins to speak about a man named Barnabas. Now, what we see in this passage is that God uses both the church in Antioch and this man named Barnabas very, very powerfully. And as we look into these verses, there's one commonality between the church and this man. And that commonality is a characteristic of humility. You know, as I was studying this scripture and as I was kind of looking through it on my own, I just, I was convicted and I was so thankful to the Lord because this issue of humility and this issue of pride has, has been on my heart for a while. And the reason why is because I think in today's church, pride is, is so common and yet it's also so hidden. And as I was thinking and praying over, over all of us, there were certain signs that I could see as we were growing in spiritual maturity, as I saw us continue to grow closer to the Lord, that could be our pitfall. I could see certain things that would prop up, that would come up within our church, within our members that I realized could be so dangerous for us moving forward. And so before we go into this scripture, I just wanted to point out three of those signs that I really want us to be careful of. You know, a sign of pride we should be careful of is the belief that the church should perfectly fit our needs. And the reason I bring this up is because I've talked to so many people who've been disappointed at the church because it doesn't fit exactly the way that they had expected or desired. And they become disillusioned because this church, they feel like is full of imperfect people, full of flawed people who call themselves Christians, who proclaim with their mouth one thing and yet do another where the praise isn't really up to par with what they think, or the sermon really isn't up to par with what they try to aspire to. And you see, the danger is that there's no perfect church. And one thing that I constantly tell them is, look, maybe God is showing you these flaws, not that you can be disappointed and run away, but that you can pray for them. Do you realize that it's prideful to think that the church should be perfect? Because if the church was perfect, then you would not be allowed to enter. 
if we see holes within the church, pride tells us to run away and try to find the perfect church, and yet humility tells us to persevere because perseverance builds character, which builds hope. The second sign of pride that our church has to be careful of is our confidence as sinful Christians. I know that sounds weird, but let me explain. I've seen a lot of Christians, a lot of people joke or say with this confident swagger that they're sinful, that they've done a lot of bad things, that they made a lot of mistakes. And, and you know what? It's okay, though, because God's grace covers their sin. Church, it's true. It's true that we are imperfect. It's true that God's grace covers us. But the danger that I see is when Christians pridefully declare their sin rather than humbly confess it. That when Christians joke around and talk about how their sin is, is something that they should be whatever about, because they know that God's love is going to cover it. And the reason why I want us to be careful of that is because it shows that our understanding is very superficial when it comes to the depths of our sin. And we don't really understand the torture and the pain that Jesus Christ went through when he saved us. Charles Spurgeon, he even asked, how can we make light of the evil that killed our best friend. Church, it's going to be our understanding, our true and deep understanding of the gospel that will keep us humble. And the last sign of pride that our church really needs to be careful of is prayerlessness. A lack of prayer says to God, I don't need your help. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your guidance. In the Bible, prayer and humility are linked together. They are so intimately connected. And the reason, and one of the reasons we don't pray is because we either believe that we don't need God or we don't recognize who he is. And so prayer just becomes an afterthought, something that we do when we're truly in trouble. But 99% of the time, we're fine because we can handle it on our own. The reason I bring this up is because, man, I truly desire for our church to be marked as a church of humility. And I believe that as we continue to grow in spiritual maturity, as we continue to grow into 2021, as God continues to speak into your lives, this sin of pride will become more and more dangerous to you because Satan will do everything possible in order to stop the mission of God. And so I want you to keep these in mind. Hold them close to your heart. And pray and ask that God would humble you and humble our church as we move forward. Today we're going to look at the church in Antioch. And what we're going to see is we're going to see two things. First, what it means to be a humble church. And secondly, we're going to look at Barnabas. And we're going to see what it means to be a humble Christian. That's it. First is the humble church. You know, many scholars, they, they argue that the church in Antioch is the most significant church in the New Testament. And the reason why is because it became the first church 
for Gentile Christians. In other words, it was the first church opened to all of the world. Antioch was so important. It was the launching pad for the missionary Paul. It was where Christians first got the term or the name Christians. It was where so many people were saved. It was such an important landmark. And yet what we see in this passage is as important as it was, there are no names that were attached to the church of Antioch. Verses 19 to 21, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Do you see how these Christians, who were so influential, who were a part of the church of Antioch, who were able to change the course of history, they were simply named them. We don't know who they are. We don't know their names. We don't know their lives. We don't know their families. But we do know a few things about them. We know a couple things. And the first is that they were faithful in where God placed them. You know, as you read this, I think a question that would naturally come up is, why Antioch? Of all places, why Antioch? I I can understand Jerusalem, because that's like the capital, that's that's such an important place, but, but why of all places would a church start in Antioch? I've had this question too, because for me, as I started ministry, one of the things that I did was I read a lot of church planting books. And it's kind of crazy because church planning books nowadays, they're down to almost a science. Because what they do is they take a survey of the land where they're thinking of going to. They try to, make a, uh, they try to find what the needs are of that community with the, the needs of the leadership that is going to be planting a church there. They try to find the right type of building to, to plant the church in. And, and they try to find the right demographic of, of the leadership staff that they need in order to really, uh, you know, reflect the, the community that's going to be there. And then after all that, the church finally gets planted. But do you know why the disciples began a church in Antioch? It's because they simply just ended up there. Verse 19 says, they were running away from persecution. They were going to a different place because Stephen was martyred and they had to run for their lives. And all of a sudden, just because they were running, they ended up in Antioch. And we see that these disciples, even though they never planned to be there, were still faithful to the mission that God had given them to spread the gospel and to invest in one another. Church, I think that so many of us are so discontent with where our life is today that we don't realize that God is still planning on using you to transform somebody else. I think so so many of us are living in so much regret, are living in our mistakes, are living in our past, are living in a time of waiting, that we don't realize that God has placed you where you are today in order to affect the people that are around you. 
He has given you the tools. He has given you the knowledge. He has given you every single tool necessary. And yet the reason why you are not affecting the people around you is because you are so locked up in your past mistakes and in your past experiences that you don't see that God has led you exactly where you are to affect the people around you. So many of us are in this type of mindset that we think that our mission field is only when we go on mission trips. We think that our mission field is only when we're in a class or in life group or having to talk about God. And what happens is that we become frustrated because we think that we're not supposed to be where we are in our career. We're frustrated because we're not where we are in our family. We're frustrated because we're not where we are in school. But we see that in this passage, these disciples, they had no plans to go to Antioch. In fact, I can almost guarantee that they were frustrated themselves. They had run from persecution. They had to leave what they knew. They had to probably leave some of their family behind. And yet, even though they didn't plan on being in Antioch, God planned on using them there. You may not have planned to be where you are today. You may not have planned to be in the time of waiting that you are in now. You may not have planned to be in the job that you are in, the place that you are in, the school you are in, the city you are in, and yet God has planned for you to be there in order for you to affect the people around you. Don't waste your talents. Don't waste your time. Don't waste what God has given you. So my question to you is this. Where does God have you right now? Your life is not going to start tomorrow. Your life is not going to start when the thing that you are in is behind you. God has placed you where you are today because your life is now. God has placed the people around you because you are meant to affect them today. God has placed you within your school, within your workplace, within your family, because the people around you are precious to him, and he has placed you there in order to spread the gospel and bring them to him. I know many of us are saying, I'm going to be faithful when I finish school. I'm going to really invest in the church when I get married. I'm going to step in faith once I get my job. And yet, God has placed you in this city and in this church because there are people around you who need to hear the gospel. He desires you. He desires you to use. He desires you to, to be used today. And I think we need to understand that there are times when God does not place us in our job or school primarily for our worldly success, but because he wants us to further his kingdom. It's not always going to be about you. It's not always going to be about how great your life can be. It's not going to always be about how popular or how famous or how much money you can earn. Sometimes it's going to be that God places you in a position you may not have ever thought because there's a person in your life that he wants you to speak to. 
This is what happened to the disciples in Antioch. They did not know they were going to be there, and yet they were faithful in their mission to God. And what happened was a revival. God has placed you where you are today on purpose. Now, these disciples, they showed us what it means to be a humble church. And now what we're going to do is look at Barnabas and see what it means to be a humble Christian. You see, what happens after the disciples moved to Antioch is that the church was growing so fast and people were talking about the church in Antioch so much that news of it reached Jerusalem or the church in Jerusalem. And so the church sent out Barnabas to see if what they were hearing was true. And so Barnabas, he, he goes down to the church in Antioch, and it says in verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. The first thing Barnabas does before everything else, when he sees that they are doing a good job, when he sees that they are proclaiming the gospel, when he sees that they have been faithful to their mission, is that he exhorts the church. One of the main marks of a humble Christian is encouragement. I know that this may seem obvious, but the Bible shows us that something as simple as encouragement plays a vital part in the growth of the church. And it played a huge part in the growth of the early church back then. You see, one of the reasons biblical encouragement is so important is because when it's done right, it naturally leads people to Christ. But the reason why biblical encouragement is difficult to do is because it's honestly a difficult thing to do. Let me explain to you what that means. Encouragement is difficult because it requires not just words, but actions. Because when you simply say words without any actions, they're empty. They don't mean as much. And yet biblical encouragement, it purposely brings in what you say with how you live life together with them. The Greek word for encouragement is parakaleo. You see, this word parakaleo is made up of two words. The first word, para, it means simply going alongside somebody. It's going next to them. It's where we get the words paralegal, paramedic. It's going alongside someone who's a medical professional, someone going alongside the legal, someone who's a, a, a lawyer. The other word is kaleo. And that's a very popular and famous word. It means to call somebody. Now, these two words are almost opposite of each other. Because when you think of the word kaleo, that's a word that almost means to command. It's a calling. It's telling, hey, go there. Come here. It's almost a, a word of guidance and yet direction. And it's a word that's meant to change where someone's going to, to a different place. However, the word para, para is a word of compassion. It's a word of empathy. It's a word meaning that you're stick alongside them. It's a word meaning you're going to partner with them and go one step at a time together. And so what is biblical encouragement? 
It's this, it's speaking words of truth and guidance while also living alongside them. It means that I'm going to give you guidance. It means that I'm going to speak words of truth. It means that I'm not going to deflect from what's hard to say because I love you. And it also means that through it all, I'm going to walk beside you every step of the way. This is biblical encouragement. And I think innately, we we can see this to be true. Because even for me, if someone new comes to our church for the first time, and after service, they come up to me and they say, hey, Pastor Danny, man, I, I was so blessed by your sermon. I think you did such a great job. I think you were such a good pastor. I think you were pastoring so well. Do you know what I'll say? Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. Right? I mean, I would, that would be, I would like it and I would, that would, I'd be thankful for it. But what if someone comes up to me, what if a deacon comes up to me in our church and they, and they say, hey, Pastor Danny, I think you are pastoring really well. I'm so thankful for your leadership. I'm so thankful for what you've done. Do you know how much those words would fill me? Do you know how much those words would mean to me? And the reason why is because they're not just words. I know that they live beside me. They've seen my character. They've seen the way that I've walked. Biblical encouragement is meant to be both those things in one. Church, the reason why encouragement is so difficult is because it requires humility. And it requires us to walk in that middle ground. Because too many of us, so many of us, have too much kaleo, where we are able to speak words of truth, where we are able to judge others, where we are able to speak really harshly and tell everyone, tell the person, hey, you should go this way or that way or that way. And yet we don't live beside them. We don't love them. We're not going and spending life with them. And yet on the flip side, what we see is that others are too para, where we give words of affirmation but are never willing to guide or correct. We're too afraid to do that because of our own sin, because we think we're, we're too sinful. And yet, do you see how those, both those things, whether we lean too far on one side or the other, is pride. When we are too quick to judge without love, it's because innately we think that we are better Christians than the other person. It's because innately we think that for a small part of us, our works can lead us to salvation, and our works is a little bit better than that person's. Do you see how for para? when we give words of affirmation and never willing to guide or correct, how that is a sense of pride as well. Because innately, we think that our sinfulness is more powerful than God's willingness to speak through us. And so Barnabas, you see, he was an encourager. And his mark of humility was that he was willing to encourage, but not only that, he was willing to step back and to guide others. Verses 25 and 26, let me read to you. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. You see, what these verses are saying is this. 
Barnabas, he went to the church in Antioch. He saw how they were doing. He saw that they were thriving. He exhorted them, but he also saw a need within the church, that they needed to be taught the doctrine. He, they needed to be taught the beliefs of Jesus Christ. They needed to be taught these things. And yet he also knew that he was not prepared to do that. He also knew that he lacked in that gifting. And so what he did is he went to go get Saul, who he knew was a Christian at that time, and he brought, them into, he brought him into the church in Antioch, and he allowed Saul to teach. And what we see is, as time goes on in the later chapters, it's always going to be Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. And yet, as chapters go on, what we see is a switch. It becomes Saul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas. Barnabas was willing to take a step back when he saw a need within the church, but he not only took a step back, he tried to guide others to fulfill and fill in that need. Do you realize the type of humility Barnabas needed to have in order to know that he lacked the skills necessary and therefore encourage someone else to fill that space? I think for a lot of us, we are so good at seeing the church's flaws and mistakes. Too good, in fact. I think really, really good, right? But it's rare and it's beautiful to find Christians who are able to see a need within the church and encourage and guide other people to fill that need because they know they are not able to. For a lot of us, we see these mistakes, we see these flaws, we see these needs, and immediately our first thought is to run away. Our first thought is to go away. And yet, for Barnabas, he saw a need, and he decided to take a back seat and bring in Saul to lead. Church Barnabas, he was a good man, and he was a humble man. But the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ is the humble king. Philippians 2 says that Jesus Christ, even though he was God, he made himself nothing in order to die on the cross for our sins. And I know that as we look at the, the scripture, as we think about humility and biblical encouragement, it becomes so daunting for us to even go in this direction. And yet, do you realize that the Savior of the world, the King of our hearts, our Lord and Savior, he was the most humble. He was the humble King. And he died for you and for I. I know that it seems almost impossible to constantly encourage and lift one another up. But our example shouldn't come from Barnabas. It's from Jesus Christ who humbled himself for us. You know, I want to end with just this one point of application. Now, I believe that the humility of the church and the humility of Barnabas, it originated in one thing, their desperation for God. What we see in the beginning of this passage is that they were scattered because of persecution. That they came to Antioch because of all the death threats and the things that they were experiencing. And so for them during that time, what they would do is they would cry out to God for guidance and in return God would shape their character. The reason the modern church is plagued by pride is because I think many churches have lost their desperation to pray. 
It's funny because I think if you ever need seats at a Christian gathering, then you should call it a prayer meeting, right? And look, I'm, I'm not trying to judge anyone because, look, this is for me too. This is a conviction that has been on my heart because, man, as I was thinking about it, even on Sunday services, something that I hold so dear to me, so dear to, to worshiping and, and proclaiming God's name, I realized that for many of us, the many times, prayer is almost a time where it's a, it's a time of transition, where we can bring in people and, and bring up people. And, and I'm like, is that really what prayer is? Is that really the type of example I want to show? Prayer is so much more important than that, church. And I want it to be our greatest weapon. I want it to be the greatest weapon against pride. For us, may I hope that our church, and I pray that our church would be a church marked by humility. I pray that Shining Star would desire to be humble. And I pray that you would be faithful in the place that God has placed you and that you would seek to encourage and uplift others. But more than anything, I pray that we would seek after God through prayer. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.